Thanks, Eric. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you all again. And I hope you've been well this last week. Uh, as you probably know, Pastor Dave is visiting his parents, and he will be back uh, next weekend. And But I have the opportunity to spend this Sunday with you all. And we're going to be continuing through 1 John. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be in the middle of the chapter. We're looking at verses 18 through 27, and we're going to be thinking about something John calls the last hour, and he's kind of asking us to consider our point in history, and so I'll reflect for a couple minutes on the last hour. You can um, listen along, read along, I'll read it, and then we'll jump in. First John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do uh, not have the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has been taught to you, abide in him. Let me pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would illumine our minds and uh, seal its truths uh, in our hearts. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to be reflecting on this little phrase that John uses, the last hour. And a little bit of context uh, helps us out. Uh, John is writing to uh, a church in Ephesus in modern day Turkey. And he was likely living there. That was his church that he ministered to. And uh, he is dealing with some people who are advocating some sort of false teaching. And uh, this false teaching was patronizing to the material world, to our bodies, to uh, the goodness of God's creation. And it advocated for a, a special kind of salvation that involved a secretive knowledge. And uh, John is kind of uh, framing these false teachers, kind of giving them a context by talking about uh, this last hour. And the last hour is kind of the last things, the, the end times. And in fact, uh, the word that John uses for last is eschatos, uh, which is where we get the word eschatology. And uh, you could kind of think of it as being sort of the last chapter in a book. And John is saying, let's think about this last chapter of the book where God's plans for the world are gonna be completed. His kingdom will be consummated. Uh, everything that's wrong with the world will be undone. 
And uh, of course, a, a question for us, though, is uh, what is the page number for this last chapter that starts on and when does it end? Uh, when are we really in this last hour and when's it going to end? And what John is uh, clear about is uh, also what the rest of Scripture is clear about, that the, the end times, the last hour, uh, is connected to the arrival of Christ. And that uh, actually with the, the incarnation, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, we uh, now find ourselves in some sort of last hour, some end times. And uh, God is breaking into human history. And as he uh, does this, there is an increasing tension between God, his plans, his people, and the rest of the world that is in a kind of rivalry against them. And uh, talking about the last times, of course, the end times is uh, you can go sideways pretty quick. And um, I haven't uh, uh, connected with Pastor Dave about anything I'm, I'm going to share with you. So this may be the last time you all see me. So, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, just a little, little, little kidding there. But um, uh, uh, what we're going to be talking about is this last, last time. And um, John uh, uses this phrase, uh, the last hour, and it makes you kind of think that um, uh, the, the arrival of Jesus is just around a corner. You know, it's maybe not an actual hour away, but it's maybe hours away, you know. And sometimes I use the language of, um, you know, uh, I did something an hour ago. And I mean, it maybe happened in the last few hours. And is uh, John talking about this? And if he is, well, he wrote this 1900 years ago and he definitely got it wrong. Uh, he's mistaken. And in fact, there are a lot of Bible scholars who would say that the early church was expecting Jesus to return any minute and they got it wrong. And so they kind of went back and they kind of rewrote parts of, of scripture. And uh, our passage here is actually an argument against this because John wrote this many decades after the life of Jesus. And he wrote this at the late in the first century and uh, he didn't change his mind. And he still thought it was appropriate to say that he lived in the last hour and I think what John is getting at is this kind of um, uh, this kind of thief in the night idea. Something a phrase that Jesus uses. He says that his return will be like a thief in the night, and um, it's going to be unexpected, uh, and we need to be vigilant for it. And he's telling us that the return of Christ it's impending, it's forthcoming, and it's in such a way that we should be anticipating it. We should be looking for it. We have it. It should weigh on us. And for me as a conservative Presbyterian, uh, I probably have a very appropriate caution of ways that we can kind of go off on that. But something that I'm kind of weak at is having that sense of expectation for Jesus's return. And uh, I really hope that as we spend a couple minutes kind of reflecting on this passage, we get both a kind of a clearer picture of what John means by the last hour but also that sense of it being impending, it's forthcoming, uh, it would weigh on us in, in some way. So we have two big features of what uh, this last hour consists of, according to John. It consists of something to do with community, and it also has something to do with knowledge. And we're going to kind of look at both these. How does community figure into this last hour, and how does knowledge figure into this last hour? And we'll work through it in, in that order. 
So community first, John is saying that community uh, plays a big part in this last or final hour. Let me read to you what he says in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that all are not us. What John is saying is that uh, part of this last hour uh, involves an increasing sense of who is us, who's part of the church, uh, who are the Christians, and then an increasing sense of who is not part of us, who's the opposite. And John says that this becomes plain. And another word you could probably use there is made manifested. And for something to be made manifest, it has to be hidden. And the big idea that John is getting at is that uh, when something happens in our heart, when we embrace the gospel, uh, when the Holy Spirit changes our heart, it changes how we act in the world. And specifically what it changes is our sense of belonging to the church. When the Holy Spirit touches our hearts, we engage the church in a new way. And that new way is saying we belong to the church. Uh, You could kind of think of it as planting a flag on the church saying, these are my people. Uh, This is my tribe. I'm sticking with them through thick and thin. And that uh, the the evidence of a changed heart, a heart that's been manifested, is that kind of church tribalism, saying these are are my people. And uh, we've been aligned with God, and so we've been in turn aligned with his people. And now uh, what John is doing here is he's giving them a litmus test. Uh, John's giving them a litmus test to make sense of what they just went through. They had a whole bunch of people leave their church. And he's saying, I want you to to make sense of this because they didn't really have that changed hearts. But whenever we hear a a litmus test, it's very natural for us to say, how do I gauge against that litmus test? Am I really part of the church? Have I really staked my flag there? And what John uh, does with a litmus test is he doesn't say, here's a test, evaluate yourself, and maybe you're in, maybe you're not, and there's more anxiety, more stress in your life. Am I really in? Am I really out? And John's saying the opposite. He's saying, I want you to use this listness test to actually give you confidence that you're already in. He's saying, here's a test. You pass it. Now grow in your confidence. Grow in your assurance that you belong to God and you belong to his people. And that's how John and and the Lord wants us uh, to engage this type of test. Well, the test uh, shows what is really going on in our hearts. And as uh, uh, is there a growing sense of where people's hearts are, where they uh, stake their flag, part of what that also does to community is it creates division. Not only uh, is a community being manifested, but there is an increasing sense of division between uh, the church and others. Let me read to you how John puts it in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John is saying that in the last hour, uh, there is a, a new group of people that he calls the Antichrist. And in fact, the people who left the church earlier, he labels them Antichrist. And uh, we're probably, we're used to hearing about the Antichrist, singular. 
but we're probably not as used to hearing about antichrist in the plural. And in fact, this is the only place in the New Testament, uh, to my knowledge, at least it talks about antichrist in the plural. And what John is talking about with an antichrist in the plural is, is somebody who is against Christ. Um, he's, he's not talking about something kind of different, but he is talking about uh, someone who is against Christ or their antichrist. And he says there are people who confess Christ, which is the church, and there are people who just left the church uh, that are actually antichrist. They're against Christ. And he's capturing the, the phrase that Jesus uses where he says, people are going to hate you because they hate me. He says, the world hates you because they actually hate me. And you belong to me. And so they hate everything that I'm, I'm for. And, and so God stakes his flag on us. And he says, you're, you're my people. You're my tribe. And the world dislikes that. And this creates an increasing division uh, between the church and the world, especially as God's presence is being uh, manifested in the world. And I think this is an, an important uh, reminder. Uh, just if you're like me, um, I'm kind of a, a bridge builder. I'm a diplomat. Uh, I don't like being in conflict with people. Uh, I'd rather see us build connections and build bridges with other people. And this is a reminder that, that um, there will be tension between the church and the world. You should expect that in some way. But it's also a warning because it's saying the thing that should be offensive to the world is actually the gospel. The stumbling block to the world is Christ himself. And I've heard people use the stumbling block argument to justify all sorts of very poorly and even offensively made statements. And just because Christianity is offensive doesn't mean it justifies every offense. It's the gospel itself and the spirit's ministry in our hearts that should be what actually offends people. So we're left wondering, though, what is this message? What is this teaching that is actually offensive to people? And that leads to our second point, that the final hour is not only marked by community, but it's marked by knowledge. Let me read to you what John says in verses 20 and 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is the truth. John is saying that these Christians who are part of the, the church were in some way defined or set apart by knowledge that they had. And in fact, the people who left the church, they believed what he called a lie. And to appreciate what John is getting at here, uh, we need to go back to our context uh, where we said that there was this heretical group that was trying to put pressure on the church. They were trying to infiltrate it. They had all these false teachings and John is pushing back against them. And uh, one of the things that John is, is trying to really get at is that Christianity is not a cult. Uh, it's, it's not some kind of secretive uh, hidden thing from the world. And, and more than that, um, he's saying that you all have knowledge. Uh, Christianity is, is not just some kind of way that, that we gain ascendancy over people. It's not a real project for asserting ourselves and over people. Uh, what it actually is, is, is everybody has this knowledge. It doesn't matter uh, uh, what side of the tracks you grew up on. It doesn't matter your upbringing, your education level. Uh, John is saying that everybody has this knowledge. And what is this knowledge? Well, it's something that you don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to seminary. 
uh, to learn it. John says it very plainly in verse 22. He says, who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is a Christ. This is the antichrist, he who denies the father and the son. The knowledge that the church possesses is very simple in a sense. It is that Jesus is Jesus is the Messiah. He is the true king of Israel, and he is the true king of the world. And this knowledge is discovered through what John calls the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in verse uh, 27, John tells us that this anointing of the Holy Spirit actually teaches us. Let me read to you verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught you, abide in him. John is acting like John, and he's teaching them that they don't need a teacher. What does John have in mind with this? Well, again, context is helpful. He is telling them that they don't need any type of special outside knowledge. He's saying that their experiences they've had of hearing the gospel, embracing the gospel from God's authorized uh, spokespeople, that is sufficient. They don't need anything else. And that the Holy Spirit uh, is especially helpful for them to tell the difference between lies and truth. And he's saying that as they enter into this last hour, there is an overabundance of errors and lies and deception. And knowing the difference between truth and falsehood is important. And John uses some very interesting language to describe all this. He uses the language of anointing. And this is especially odd because uh, this language is uh, really meant to reassure people that they don't need some kind of weird cult uh, type Christianity to subscribe to. But what John is, is doing when he's talking about the anointing is he's borrowing from uh, images that have been used in the history of Israel to describe the commissioning of all sorts of important people. Uh, kings were anointed, prophets were anointed, priests were anointed. All the major offices in Israel went through some sort of anointing. And this anointing would commission for them, them for their task. It would kind of authorize them. God would kind of powerfully come with them in a system. They would maybe even have special gifts uh, to do that. And what John is saying is that at the, as, as we uh, consider the last chapter of the world, what does it mean to be in this last hour? Uh, we have a lot of questions, maybe even some anxieties, anxieties about the tension between us and the world, uh, questions about when is the last page number going to be. And God is saying the number one resource we need, the number one thing we need is not different circumstances, uh, not, uh, not some kind of insight through a book or anything else. Uh, John is telling us the biggest resource we need is actually his presence himself. His presence with us, teaching us, comforting us, reassuring us, guiding us, protecting us, is a resource that we need most in the last hour that we're in right now. One of the things I really wrestled with was this uh, passage was uh, a, a phrase that John used at the very beginning in verse 18. Uh, John said that these many antichrists had come. And this word, the, the Greek word he uses there is genomai. And this is kind of a, a, a special word. This is John's favorite word. If I had said, what is, what is a word that summarizes who John is, his theology, his thinking about things? It's this word. 
And it means something like being born or coming into existence. And what John is saying is that these antichrists, they've been born, they've come into existence. And this is, this is interesting because he actually uses this exact same word all the time to describe Christians. He describes, uh, uses being born again to describe going from uh, death to life. He also uses it to describe their adoption. And so it's very interesting that he would uh, use the exact same word to describe antichrist coming into the world in the last hour. And, uh, you know, I wanted to know, what does he mean by this? I had all these questions because John, whenever he describes someone being born, he has a whole lot to say about it. He always attaches it to all these things and he always makes all these uh, connections. And yet here he is saying the antichrist is being born. And he makes no connections. He doesn't give any context, any kind of framework for this. And it struck me as really odd. And I read some books and I called up a, a John scholar I knew from seminary and, and I did all this and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And the more I sat on it, the more it struck me, struck me is that these antichrists, they're in some way originless. They're in some way, they don't have a framing. They don't have a context. They don't have uh, a family name that they've been brought into or family that they've come out of. And this is contrasted in how John talks about the last hour. The last hour is the last book in a, in a excuse me, the last chapter in a book that God himself is writing. And this book is, it's a comedy. It's a fairy tale, not a tragedy. And there's pain and there's suffering along the way, but the story is written by God himself for us. And this is, I think, our comfort that John is trying to give us. And it's that though we don't know what the final page number is, the author who's writing our story that we're in, he's benevolent and he's working out our good. My hope is that that would be a comfort for us today and always. Let me pray for us.